This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we explore the book of Amos on a quest to find the heart of God as expressed in the first of his many mouthpieces. Time to journey through the prophets. Tis the season for colds. Colds and podcasts. Yes. <laughs> I don't think I have a cold. I'm just sneezing a bunch. Yes. I don't know what's going on out in the world, but... Yeah. What better thing to do than record a podcast when you don't feel like you can breathe well? Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we're going to begin our journey into the prophets. Uh, we're going to start with Amos. I'm kind of guesstimating. No promises here, but I'm thinking one podcast a prophet. Let's kind of cover one book. Uh, I, I love the prophets. Prophets are one of my favorite um, uh, sections of literature. Uh, we're going to start with those pre-Assyrian prophets. We've even... Uh, dropped a slide from our last podcast from the presentation there, just to remind you of what those pre-Assyrian prophets, who they are and where they fall and kind of the, the history of everything. Um, so that's where we're going to start. We're going we're gonna to start with Amos, go to Hosea. Uh, those are two prophets that are uh, speaking to Israel and the northern kingdom. And then we're going to deal with the two prophets that are going to be speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah, which is going to be Micah and what we're going to call first Isaiah. So we'll do Amos and Hosea to Israel, and then Micah and first Isaiah to Judah. And uh, we'll just kind of march through those. Now, now uh, just to clarify a little bit on the first Isaiah thing. Yeah. yeah we're not yeah. talking about some random other book that's like not part of the Bible. We're actually referring to the first part of the book of Isaiah. Right. Absolutely. Yes. We're not. Yeah. 110%. So there's those, there's those four voices. We're going to talk about four voices as we go through it. Some scholars, everybody argues, uh, we can't figure out. And we, we don't really know how it was originally written either. Was it redacted later? Were there different pieces of it? Um, was it all written at the same time? Was it written by different, you know, just how was it put put together and pieced together? But it appears that we have these four different voices of Isaiah. We'll definitely cover that when we get uh, closer to it. But you're right. These aren't different books. It's one book, the one prophet of Isaiah in our Bibles, 66 chapters. But this one book of Isaiah seems to have four distinct sections um, that uh, we talked about. So that's where we'll be. That's where we'll be headed. Now, uh, for a lot of these podcasts, I'm going to read a lot because I really love the prophets. I, I, I don't think um, when I was taught about the prophets uh, growing up. We didn't read them enough. I was just taught about them, and that was a real shame. Um, so it's a shame on a couple different levels. One, one because the prophets are—I think the reason we don't read the prophets more or, or spend more time in the prophets is because it doesn't suit our Western sensibilities well. Like uh, the prophets are these poetic and uh, beautifully written pieces of literature, but they're not real— useful when it comes to formulating doctrinal stances or 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 western belief statements um we kind of just use the prophets when we think they're handy to prove who Jesus is or uh, to foreshadow the coming of the messiah or different things like that but what what we really miss is we miss the beauty uh there's a there was a uh, a work written by Abraham Joshua Heschel um one of his best known books i think we've recommended the sabbath before but one of his other best-known books is The Prophets, Abraham Joshua Heschel, The Prophets. And um, he was, uh, well, The Prophets in general just are uh, this incredible piece of literature um, and their ability to speak 
in some ways, some are going to say it's the first pieces of Hebrew literature that were actually ever collected and pinned down in the way that we understand them today. And some would disagree with that, but um, what a what a voice, many different voices, but what a what a voice for a particular period of history. Um, and so we don't really know exactly how to appreciate the prophets on one hand, because it's poetry and it's it's this poetic, thunderous, gorilla language. Um, it's this, not gorilla as in like the ape, but gorilla as in uh, underground warfare type. It's a subversive um, uh, Guerrilla theater is something that Rob Bell, a phrase that Rob Bell's used before. Um, the prophets engaged in this uh, unbelievably subversive storytelling, and they they spoke of of they used hyperbole. Um, they spoke of things that reached down into the depths of of what people longed for when they longed for justice and they longed for rescue. Um, the prophets are just pretty. Uh, pretty incredible that way. But the other reason, the other, the other reason that it's, it's maybe a shame we don't spend more time in the prophets is because I think what I was handed, once I read the prophets, what I was handed, I think is just totally uh, inaccurate. Now we talked before Brent about uh, when we were going through Kings and Chronicles and Samuel and those books there, we talked about two different sources, uh, one story, two sources. Um, now tell me if you can remember uh, what was the what was the agenda of of story A source A source A was all about how the the problem with Israel was their idolatry and their immorality right and then and then we juxtapose that like centuries of perspective to chronicles and and source B which would say the the agenda was what. Israel's problem is a lust for empire. Right. Now, when I was taught about the prophets growing up, I was told that the prophets were really clear um, that what Israel had done was Israel had stopped worshiping God and they had started pursuing all these foreign gods. Like I was told that the the message of the prophets um, was this overwhelming message about Israel and Judah's idolatry, Um, which makes sense if we're Christian readers uh, and we have a very doctrinal, creedal understanding of our faith, it definitely suits us well to think, well, they got their God worship wrong. They were, they were worshiping a false God. They were, uh, they were engaging in what we would call later in history heresy. They had, they had gotten their worship incorrect. Now, if you go back to our very, 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 very first introduction lesson, and we talked about um, sin. And we talked about in the Western world, it would be incorrect thinking versus the Eastern world would be incorrect action. And, and I think you see that in the way that we hear and we view the prophets. Because once I actually got in and started reading the prophets, uh, I, don't, I don't hear that dominant theme at all. Now, don't get me wrong. There are definitely talk about idols and idolatry. And some prophets, very few, but some prophets are going to be very adamant about their condemnation of idolatry. And maybe what we could extend to even immorality. Um, but that was not the dominant voice of the prophets at all, even remotely close, once I really got in and, and was able to read and truly appreciate the prophets. So we're going to spend a lot of time in our podcast as we walk through the prophets doing uh, just that. So I'm going to dive into Amos. Um, and uh, I'm just going to start Amos 1-1. Seems like a good place to begin. Seems like it. We've... <laughs> We've 
typically when we need to start in the beginning of something. Yeah. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1 is a great place. To start. Seems like a good place. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa. When he uh, saw what he saw concerning Israel, two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. He said, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem, and the pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. Now he's going to go on here and he's going to start to rebuke all of Israel's neighbors. We've actually linked to a map. Uh, that we found that actually links to these passages so that you can appreciate geographically what Amos is doing here. So Amos kind of opens up, um, this prophet opens up little intro and immediately moves into uh, condemnation for each one of Israel's neighbors. So um, and I'm not going to read all of these, but just look at verse three. Uh, this is what the Lord says. Now for three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. And it talks about that. Go to verse six. Uh, This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. And goes on to talk about Gaza. If I were to jump to verse nine, this is what the Lord says. For three sins of Tyre, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Verse 11, this is what the Lord says. For three sins of Edom, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Uh, Verse 13, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Ammon, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Uh, Get into chapter two here, for three sins of Moab, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. Uh, There's even um, one more here. Remember, this is written to which people group? Is this written to Israel or Judah? Brent. Um, Is this Israel? This is Israel, right? So it's it's even got Judah as a neighbor here. Uh, chapter two, verse four, this is what the Lord says for three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. And so as Amos begins his prophet, his prophecy, uh, his message, it's almost like for a whole chapter and a half, he's lolling. If you're an Israelite, if you're a reader in Israel, he is like lolling you to sleep. Like you're loving this condemnation of my neighbors. Yeah. Go get him, Damascus. Yeah. You tell, you tell Ammon and Moab, Amos, go ahead, go ahead and give it to Tyre. Yeah. And all of a sudden, after these little condemnations to all of Israel's neighbors, Amos all of a sudden turns his full attention to Israel. Uh, Verse six, chapter two, for three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath for they sell the right. Now, here's my question as we read this. What? What agenda, is it source A agenda or source B agenda that we end up reading all throughout the book of Amos? That's, that's a question I want us to think about as we wrestle. What is the problem in the story? We looked at it with Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. But now as God starts to speak through his mouthpieces, as God starts to speak through his prophets, what is God telling his people that the problem is? Um, so here, so here's what Amos says. They sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor, uh, as upon the dust of the ground and they deny justice to the oppressed father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar. So you're like, Oh, maybe there's some idolatry there. Maybe there's some idolatry, but instead, 
we notice that's not really about the idolatry at all. They're lying down beside every altar, but they're lying on garments taken in pledge. Now, what does that mean, Brent? A garment taken in pledge. Uh, well, I'll give you what you need, but you got to give me... Collateral, know, right? Yeah, your clothes in return so I can assure my payment. Right. So this is all about self-interest. Everything about this is about I'm taking advantage of other people. I mean, I'm going back through here. I'm looking at uh, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8. It's all about taking advantage of other people. Now, does this sound like an idolatry problem or does this sound like a justice problem to you, Brent? Sounds like justice. I don't know. We better keep reading, right? Uh, in the house of their God, oh, 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 God, little G, sounds like idolatry. Wait, they drink wine taken as fines. So what's the real, in this paragraph, the overwhelming message here? We got a justice problem. We got a justice problem. Um, I destroyed the Amorites before them. Though he was tall as the cedars and strong as the oaks, I destroyed the fruit above and his roots below. I brought you out of Egypt God says, I led you 40 years in the desert to give you the land of the Amorites. I also raised up prophets from among your sons and Nazarites from among your young men. This is, is this not true, people of Israel? Like we can hear all the things we've looked at throughout Bema. Like I took you, I put you, I rescued you from Egypt. I want you to remember where you came from. I put you at the crossroads of the earth. Have you lost the plot of the story? Uh, verse 13, 12. Excuse me, verse 12. Uh, but you made the Nazarites drink wine. Remember the Nazarites? Who are they? Uh, they're set aside for right. the Lord's service. They can't cut their hair. No um, no alcohol, no grapes at all. Right. And what was the other thing? There? The other thing they couldn't touch. Couldn't touch a... Oh, yeah, no, no dead... Um, no dead bodies. Dead bodies of any kind. Right, okay. Animal or human. So here's this, like, you just don't care about my story. You don't care about my plot line, God says. You won't even let people that have taken, was the Nazarite vow typically voluntary or typically assigned? Uh, voluntary. Voluntary. You're not even letting people who want to follow me well follow me. You make them drink wine. You command the prophets not to prophesy. Now then I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. And jump down to, ver- to chapter 3 here. Hear this word the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. Notice that I want you to remember where you came from. I brought you out of Egypt. Notice all the language here that we've already looked at all throughout our study. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. You might think of his partnership back at Mount Sinai. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. Um, Let's see here. I'll skip ahead to, let's see, maybe some chapter four here. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy. Uh, The cows of Bashan kind of sounds like a real big put down there. The prophets often call the women of Israel cows of Bashan. You're like, man, that's rough. But the image there isn't so much, uh, I mean, it's definitely a slam without a doubt, but it's not because he's calling women cows. It's because the cows of Bashan were known as being these fattened cattle that just grazed on the lush pastures uh, in the north and just became this, like, they were these fattened cattle on purpose. And and he says, you're just feeding on the lush. Uh, It's not that he's calling them fat, necessarily, but that image of fattened cattle. 
Um, this is over and above what you need. This is not the message of just enough. More than enough. More, definitely, definitely more. That's the cow of Bashan. More than enough. You women who, now again, what are they doing? They're oppressing the poor and crushing the needy. You say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness. The time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks, and you will each go straight out through the breaks in the wall and you will be cast out towards Harmon. Now, again, and, and I want to challenge all my listeners through all these podcasts, make sure that Marty's not cherry picking verses that talk about justice. And I'm just purposely skipping all the idolatry passages. These prophets are not long. Some of them will be. A lot of these are not going to be long. You read these prophets from front to back cover and tell me if I'm missing the idolatry passages or if these prophets, because pretty much what have we heard of so far, Brent? It's been pretty straight, pretty, uh, pretty uh, unanimous. What's been the... Uh, a lot of empire. There's a lot of empire. We have a we have a major justice problem going on here. We are taking advantage of people. So we'll see if that continues to hold true. But for all our listeners, make sure you're reading. Make sure I'm not dancing around here. Make, hold me to it. Hold my feet to the fire. Make sure I'm being honest. Well, maybe I can offer something from chapter 5. Okay, go go for it. I like this. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Where are you at? What verses? Uh, verse 4, sorry. Okay. Chapter 5, verse 4. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. Okay, now justice. We haven't really talked a whole lot about this. Justice is what word, Brent? Uh, well, there's a couple different words. Yes, there is. So, Which justice do you suppose we're dealing with here? Um, let's see. We've got mishpat and we've got dean. Right. And so uh, mishpat being like making sure everything in its right place. Yeah, like restorative whole. It's restorative justice. It's like uh, wholeness, shalom. It's more about, yeah, yeah, bringing things back to the way they're supposed to be. Right. And then Dean is a, is a retributive justice. Retributive justice, right? Which one Where do you think this one is here? doling out a punishment. And I'm guessing that we're talking about Mishpat here. Yeah, those who turn Mishpat into bitterness and cast... Right, remember the word for righteousness? Uh, Zedekah. Yep, Zedekah. And that word... Um, Modern Zedeka, uh, where they'd have Zedeka boxes in synagogues. Where you put what do you put in those boxes, Brent? And those are your offerings for for those who need something. Yeah, yeah. So, so this word righteousness, like we always think in our Western world, we think well, obeying the rules, being right, uh, obedience, and those things are true. But the word itself has a direct connotation to generosity, to taking to blessing, to taking care of those people in need. So again, even in that statement, uh, there are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast generosity, righteousness, zedeka, to the ground. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so verse 8, he who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. With a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Okay, so their big sins here is that they trample the needy 
And as you just read there, they, they, they would tax the grain and put a tax on straw. This is like, if we're really listening to this and considering our own world and our own culture, this probably is starting to hit a little close to home. Uh, and I can't remember how much we talked, Brent. I don't know if you can remember. Did we talk a whole lot back in Exodus about where our shirts are made and and just the way that in our culture, empire costs something? Empire always comes at a cost. Our comfort, our luxury, our security always comes on the backs of other people. Um, and it's interesting how this plays out in even our own culture. This isn't just far away a long, long time ago in Israel and Judah. Uh, part of what makes us uncomfortable, it's easy to just say it was an idolatry problem. If the prophets really are speaking of a justice problem, I think maybe, maybe I, let me just say I, maybe I have more of a problem uh, that I need to examine than I realized. Uh, I wonder how many straw taxes I levy on the poor. Um, well, straw not, and grain, those are like yeah. the most basic living necessities for them in their day. Absolutely. Absolute advantage. You're, you're taking absolute advantage. We would, we would, of course, never do that in our culture. But we're taking absolute advantage of people in a bad situation that have a need and we're going to tax it. Now people are like, you're talking about physical taxes? Well, kind of, but not really. I'm talking about a culture that takes advantage of people in need. Anyway, keep going. Uh, therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Not relevant. Though you have planted <laughs> lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Yeah, I, I just, man, I mean, I love starting with Amos. I love that it's a pre-Assyrian prophet, because it just seems, it is just so blasted clear in Amos what the problem is. We have a justice problem. And I don't know about we, uh, I mean, uh, I think we have a justice problem, but the people of God in the Old Testament, before Assyria shows up on the scene, remember, this is pre-Assyria. How are they, if this is pre-Assyria, how's everybody feeling right now in the land of Israel, Brent? Oh, well, they're fine. They're fine. They got stone mansions, is what they just said, yeah. lush vineyards. They're raking in the economic profit, Right. God's trying to send a warning, but we're not listening to that. Stuff is great. Stuff's going wonderful. Um, but we have a justice problem, God says. All of this wealth, all of this security, all of this pseudo peace, this faux peace, it's all coming at a price. And I hear the price because the price is in the cries of the poor and the needy. And it's not okay. God says, I'm going to jump ahead to chapter six here. Um, just because I, I want the prophets to go ahead and convict us before we even get in there. Quick question before we leave. Yeah. So there's all the, there's all this talk of justice in the courts and we're talking about mishpat the whole time, right? Right. So like that image of a court like we have today is not the right picture. Right. Yeah. We're going to talk about this in a couple of prophets when we get to Micah. Um, but the judge, a judge is called a shofet. Uh, the book of Judges uh, in the Hebrew is called Shofetim, plural for plural Shofets. A Shofet is a judge. Now, if you were to look at Shofet, S-H, 
Remember that Hebrew doesn't have what, Brent? Uh, no vowels. No vowels. So it's all consonants. So if you take shofet, you have the sh, you have the ph, and you have the t. And and an m is a modifier. An m is is kind of a consonant, kind of not. It just modifies a root word. So if you have shofet as justice, or or excuse me, judge, and you said the word for justice was what? Mishpat. Mishpat. So consider the consonants there. We have the same consonants with an added M. We have an M and an SH and that P or PH, P or PH, and then that T. So Shofat and Mishpat are these connected ideas. In the ancient in the ancient Eastern world, a judge in a courtroom was not like a Western American courtroom and judge. In our world, the court is where the case is tried. A pronouncement is made, and the decision, the verdict is handed down. The judge is, is the guy with the gavel that controls the decision. In the Eastern world, the, the judge is not just the person who makes the decision, but the judge is also the one that enacts the restoration. So if there's something wrong, the, the judge doesn't just say what's going to happen, the judge is also the one that makes sure that action is actually followed through and carried out. So the judge is a part of, the judge isn't just a decision maker, the judge is the restoration agent, the restorer. Uh, that's why the book of Judges, and if we were back in the book of Judges, we might have been like, well, wait a minute, why are judges are the leaders? Yeah, because the judge isn't a guy in a gown with a gavel. The judge is the person that's making the decision and enacting the restoration. That's why a judge leads the people of God. So it's a really good question here. Furthermore, the word for court is actually sha'ar. So we're talking about the gates of the city. Absolutely. Absolutely. A judge in the gates. We talked about city gates before uh, when we were talking back about judges. Right. Ironically enough. Very different kind of picture than what we have, though. So we just got to right. jog yeah. that out of our system. Yeah, we do. As we walk through the prophets, we have to really get used to an Eastern worldview that says justice is not about retribution. Justice is about restoration, restoring things back to their proper place. Um, we're here in Moscow, Idaho, University of Idaho, here in town. Uh, we are right next to a Native American uh, reservation. And every year they have the tribes come in and at the school of law. And uh, I've had a couple of friends go through the school of law and they'll, they do an annual kind of a conference where they come in and they talk about the difference between uh, native American justice or law and American law. And one of the points that they always point out, I've been told I've never attended, uh, but I've been told that one of the things they always point out is the American justice system is one of the few justice systems in the world that's built off of a sense of retributive justice. Like we're trying to prevent people from, from engaging in crimes because of the punishment. And this council will always point out for most of the ancient world and most other people on the planet, justice is about putting things back, like putting things back where they're supposed to be. And a lot of times that's not fair. And a lot of times that's not going to feel like American justice, you know, Toby Keith, we're going to, you know, put a boot in your ass that says American made. I think I just swore for the first time on our podcast <laughs> and sang country song. Yeah. Well, I think that was the worst offense probably. 
the country music was the worst offense. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's American justice. It's this re- retribution versus versus justice of the ancient Eastern world is the world has been torn apart and the goal is not to pay the offender back. The goal is to put the world back together. And a part of that process may be a little bit of what you called Dean earlier. Dean might very well be a part of Mishpat, but the goal is not Dean. The goal is Mishpat and a restoration. So it's it's a really good point. And we're gonna have to keep reminding our, ourselves of that. When we when we hear justice we're not talking about God coming and saying, you're wrong and those people are vindicated. We're talking about a God that says, how can we put things back where they're supposed to be? I mean, it's right there in our culture, though. Like every movie you ever see, the person goes out and they kill the person who killed their family or whatever. Yep. And then somebody's like, so what does that do for you now? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're well aware of this. Like we, We're well aware of the, the deep-seated desire for vengeance. I think we looked at that with the Psalms. Uh, we talked about a precatory Psalms, but we're also well aware of the futility of redemptive violence. Like this doesn't work on a really basic level. It just doesn't work. It doesn't put the world back together and never can redemptive violence and, and just vengeance in and of itself. It can never put the world back together. It's not restorative. And I think this is why God says, how about you leave the vengeance to me? Cause if you leave it to me, I know what to do with it and we'll put the world back together. So anyway, I'm jumping over here to chapter six. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Kalna and look at it. Go from there to Hamat, then go down to Gat and Pilishta. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You put off the evil day and bring near a reign of terror. You lie on beds and laid with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Yosef. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. I, Amos is a tough prophet to read. It's tough. It's convicting. But the message is so crystal clear. Now, what we're going to do with every prophet, Brent, for our review, we do this review, right, in class and discussion group. We even do it on the podcast every now and then. We try to link up an idea or a word with every book. We've done it like Joshua. What's the word? Crossroads. Crossroads, right? Okay. So we've got a word. Uh, Ruth is a... Uh, A zoomed-in story about a Moabitess. Yeah. And um, what's the other one? A bunch of characters who are... Uh, Man, this is out of order. This is hard to do. I know. Right? (laughs) We get so used to cranking it out. Yeah. Uh, Moabitess, a love story about a Moabitess and... Yeah, and a bunch of people who are... R- 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 righteous. Righteous, right? righteous. Zedekiah, there, there you go. They're generous. They're righteous. Um, so we try to link up every book with a word or a phrase. And one of the things about the prophets is, is a lot of the prophets, most of the prophets, I don't know if I'll say all, but most of the prophets are utilizing an image. They have a driving image. Sometimes it's actually a physical... Um, like they're actually acting out an image like Ezekiel cooks his food over feces. 
It's an image he's utilizing to speak a message. We're going to talk about Hosea next. Hosea definitely has an image. Um, Almost every prophet utilizes an image, either from a literary point of view or a physical point of view, almost like theater. Um, But they're using an image. We want to link up the images with the prophets. So when we review Amos, the word we're going to say for Amos is plumb line. What is a plumb line? You have the passage, Brenton, in Amos chapter 7. So go ahead and look at that. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested, and just as the late crops were coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive! How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, the Lord said. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. Okay, so so um, Amos is kind of seeing these visions or these pictures that God is giving him. And the first one is of a locust plague. And Amos cries out and he says, I, they could never survive. Like this picture is something that Israel will never be able to survive. So God says, okay, how about a fire? I kind of I kind of hear Abraham here, like, I, they'll never survive that. So then he has a third image. Go ahead and keep going. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the sovereign Lord said. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. Okay, now we got to explain some things here, because I wasn't used to what that was. What does true to plumb mean, Brent? It means it's straight. Straight. See, I never knew this. Call me crazy. Um, but true to plumb means it's a straight wall, and a plumb line is what? Uh, it's, a, it's a string or a rope of some kind with a weight attached to the bottom of it. Right, and gravity forces it to be straight to plumb, straight to gravity. Because it might not even be perpendicular with the ground, but it's going to be plumbed to the center of the earth, if I understand my science correctly. Sure. Okay, wonderful. Close enough. Um... <laughs> you might even be able to find a picture, by the way, of a plumb line. Uh, either a graphical representation or you can add that to our show notes as well um, so people kind of know what we're talking about. So go ahead and keep reading. So so God says, sorry, I'm interrupting you again. God says, uh, if Israel is a wall, I have hung my plumb line. I, I built her true to plumb. I built her straight. But now I'm hanging my, go ahead and keep going. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed, and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Okay. So God says, listen, here's the picture. Israel is my wall. I I built this wall true to plumb. I built it straight. And now when I came and I hung my plumb line to check it, it is so crooked that we're just going to tear the wall down and start all over. Uh, and this is the picture that Amos utilizes for his condemnation of God's people. You were straight. God built you as a straight, true to plumb wall. We've now become so crooked. So we've lost the plot of the story. We're so hung up, hung up in injustice. Judgment is coming. God's going to tear down the wall and he's going to start over. So let me close uh, just by looking at... Uh, Chapter 8. He utilizes another image, too. We're going to talk about plumb line. Plumb line is going to be the review image for Amos. But if there was a second image, it would be the basket of ripe fruit. Chapter 8. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I, I answered. And the Lord said to me, the time is ripe. God's got puns. God's got puns. 
The time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. And that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy, who do away with the poor of the land. Might be some relevant stuff in here. I'm just going to keep moving, though. When will the, you say, when will the new moon be over that we might sell grain? Like, we don't want to celebrate God's goodness. We don't want to party. Book of Leviticus. When can the party be over? I need to get back to making me some money. That's what I care about. When will the Sabbath be ended that we might market our wheat? Skimping the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales. Buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals selling even the sweepings off the floor with the wheat. Um, It is not a good picture here in Amos, but it is a clear one in my mind as I read it. Like I said, make sure I didn't cherry pick verses, but Amos seems to be pretty clear. We got ourselves a justice problem where we're taking advantage of people. And this is the anti-story. This isn't just... Well, we're not doing some of the things that God wanted. This is, we have become the anti-story. God placed us, brought us out of Egypt, Amos said twice at the beginning. He brought us out of Egypt to bless all nations, to take care of others. And we become the anti-story. We're taking advantage of others. And we're not just taking advantage of others. We're taking advantage of people in need. The needy, the needy, the needy, the needy, Amos keeps talking about. Um, Not good. God says judgment is a coming. We got a justice problem. That's Amos, Brent. Sounds good. We look forward to discussing this with you in our discussion groups in Moscow on Tuesday or in Pullman on Wednesday. If you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. You can find me at EIBCB. You can find more details about the show at BayamontDiscipleship.com. Be sure to get plugged into our uh, Facebook page, Bayamont Discipleship on Facebook. So thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.